Y'all ready for this? Notice how many verses I have up on the on the screen right now. So, so a uh, little honesty moment for you. I had I had initially sat down and, and intended on covering verses eighteen through at least twenty one, if not all the way up to verse twenty three. And uh, yeah. So that happened, and we're going to be looking at verse 18, because there's a lot of stuff that happens here in verse 18. There's a lot of stuff in the life of the church in verse 18 that we need to deal with. Um, as, as you're flipping there, just to remind you, or everybody's already gotten there, because it's not hard to find one verse, right? It's just one verse. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Um, this is part of what we call the Caesarea Philippi Confession. Uh, Jesus and his disciples went to this uh, Gentile city, this place of worship for Caesar Augustus and, and some pagan gods, and he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the popularity poll, if you will, uh, the, the responses included... Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, some of the other prophets. And then Jesus turns the question and asks, who do you say that I am? You guys who have been with me for the last year, traveling around, spending all this time, listening to what I teach, seeing what I've done, who do you say that I am? And their response from Peter, who is the representative of the group, is you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And that brings us to verse 18. Um, Actually, verse 17, because Jesus answers and says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And now we're at verse 18. So I'm going to ask everybody, as we normally do, to stand. And I'm actually going to read from verse 18 through verse 20 though we're not going to cover that much territory in the actual message. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, help us to be changed. Help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us to understand what it means to be the church. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please have a seat. So, why am I spending the entire morning talking about verse 18? If it weren't for a declaration made by the church in Rome specifically, this passage would not be nearly as controversial as it is today. And the reason for that controversy is because the church in Rome said that this proves 
that Peter was the foundation of the church, the first bishop of Rome, the first pope, and that shows the authority that the pope has over the church. I'm not here to bash Catholics. I understand where they're coming from. But I've got to clear up this issue for us this morning. So, verse 17, Jesus says, It's not flesh and blood. It's not your tremendous intellect that has caused you to realize that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not because you 12 guys are smarter than everybody else. Rather, it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't want to deal with the controversy of verse 18, that's where you stop. (laughs) Just skip verses 18, 19, and 20. And move right on to 21, where we deal with uh, the the post-Caesarea Philippi confession, where after Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection, and then Peter decides to argue with the Christ, the Son of the living God, because he's Peter. Once we get to verse 18, things get a little bit sticky. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There are at least four different ways to interpret this verse. The Greek words that cause the problem are Peter, or Petros, which roughly translated means little rock or pebble. So if you're a fan of the Flintstones, Jesus just called Peter pebbles. And then Jesus says on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. So what are the ways we can understand this? The first possible understanding of this is that Jesus is referring to the rock of Peter's confession. Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it's that confession that is the rock on which Jesus is going to build the church. The second possibility is that Jesus is saying that he himself, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock on which the church will be built. Third, Jesus is referring to Peter as a representative apostle who is the rock and the foundation for the church. Or that Peter, through the example of his confession, is a representative of all believers which will make up the foundation of the church. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. Four different ways to look at this statement. We've got to try to figure out which one fits the context and what Jesus actually said. And I told you the two words that caused the controversy, Peter's name, Petros, 
and the word Petra, rock, which actually means bedrock, foundation rock, okay? Um, I have heard a lot of preachers, some really good ones and some, eh, not so much, make a big deal out of these two words. There's a problem with that. (laughs) And the problem is that the difference between these two words in context, even in the Greek, the difference between little rock and bedrock in just normal everyday language isn't all that big. You know, there's a lot of words that we use that are very commonly used together, right? Think back. For some of you, it may require thinking back a couple of decades. For some, maybe more than a couple of decades. For some, maybe less than a couple of decades. But if you think about when you first had a crush on a girl or a boy in school, right? You probably didn't say, I love them. You probably said, I really like them. Right? In English, when you're a teenager or a young teenager and you are thinking that way, what is the difference in your mind between I really like and I love? There's no difference at all. Right? You're just trying to figure out what all these emotions mean in the first place. So this is kind of the case with the words Petros and Petra. In Greek speaking, the words were sometimes used interchangeably. A rock is a rock is a rock is a rock. It really doesn't matter whether you're talking about a little rock or a big rock. A rock is a rock. Used to be when the boys were younger, the the rock was whatever went around the washing machine because they'd bring them in in their pockets. It's even more insignificant when we realize that when Jesus was talking to the disciples, they probably weren't speaking Greek. What language would they probably have been speaking, considering they're all a bunch of Hebrews? They would have been speaking Aramaic. The Hebrew language had kind of converted over to Aramaic. That was the primary language spoken in Palestine by the Jews. So they were probably speaking in Aramaic. The difference between big rock and little rock in Aramaic, none. A rock is a rock is a rock. So those two words there aren't that distinct. So that kind of shoots a hole in the first possibility that the big rock, the bedrock that Jesus is talking about is Peter's confession. And Peter is the little rock. The second possibility, Jesus calls himself the builder of the church. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. How many of y'all ever built a building before? Whether it be just a little storage shed or or maybe an add-on to a house or something. So after you lay the foundation, does the foundation then erect the walls? Does the foundation put the roof on? The siding? Sheetrock? No, the foundation does what? It holds everything in place, right? Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. So he's not the foundation of the church. In fact, Scripture itself... Uh, Peter himself, 
in 1 Peter chapter 2 says that Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, if you know anything about laying brick or even stones, like for a fence row or something, there's a difference between the foundation and the cornerstone. Where's the cornerstone sit? In the corner, on top of the foundation. Right? That's the piece that kind of directs the, 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 the level and the plumb and the direction of the walls. But it's not the foundation. It makes everything else square. But it's not the foundation. So that's the second possibility. It really doesn't make sense that Jesus would call himself the builder if he were the foundation. And if he meant that he was the foundation, why wouldn't he just say, you are Peter, and I am the foundation on which the church will be built? Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Okay. That leaves the third and the fourth possibility, that it was Peter that Jesus was calling the rock. This makes us uncomfortable. Okay, this makes us uncomfortable because it comes very close to the controversy that Roman Catholic doctrine has caused. It's really simple to see here that Jesus is saying that Peter is the rock. We just have to figure out what Jesus meant. Is he the representative apostle or is he the representative of all believers? that Jesus is talking about. Turn to 1 Peter. Keep your fingers here. Turn to 1 Peter. Had I been thinking, I would have bookmarked this so I didn't have to go flipping through pages. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 Starting in verse 4, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ, uh, Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for, those, uh, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what does Peter call the believers in the church? Living stones, right? Case in point, Greek word translated there, that Peter probably actually wrote in Greek, since this is Peter speaking, is the word Petros. Not Petra. Stones. So the believers are little stones. Little stones that are being built together to make up the church. Okay? If that's the case, 
then Peter as a believer, as a representative of believers, would be what? He'd be one of those little stones. Not the foundation of the church as a believer, as just another Christian. Now, I want you to flip to Ephesians chapter 2. I may only be preaching one one verse, but we're going to cover some territory. Ephesians chapter 2, which anybody who knows me knows that that is my favorite chapter in all of the New Testament. Starting in verse 19, Paul makes this statement. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So what's the foundation? No, 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 no. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles and prophets. So what is the foundation? The apostles and prophets. The foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. Now, those two offices, the prophets being more of an Old Testament office, the apostle being a New Testament office, those two groupings of people. Look at what the prophets were called to do in the Old Testament. Right? Who, who were the prophets? They were the people who stood in front of the people and proclaimed the message of God. The priest stood in front of God and confessed the sins of the people. The prophet spoke God's word to the people. And generally, God's word consisted of stop it, repent, turn around, Quit doing that. Remember that you worship God alone. Period. Or else. That's what the prophets did. You look at the New Testament office of the apostle. Who did the, what did the apostles do? Well, let's see. They were responsible for spreading the gospel. Right? Paul, Peter, Matthew, Mark, all men who went and told people, and spread the message of who Jesus was. James, John. They were agents of revelation in the ancient world. In other words, they spoke God's word to his people, kind of like the prophets did. They penned the majority of the scripture of the New Testament under the inspiration of God in order to share the life and ministry of Christ with the church. Because God knows that our memories are horrible, and if He didn't preserve His Word in written form, then we'd have been in trouble. Right? So I have a hard time remembering when I go to the grocery store that I need to buy a gallon of milk. Let alone trying to remember the details of the gospel without it being written down. They taught the church what Jesus taught. 
They provided wisdom for new believers to look at. Think about Paul's letters. Right? Paul's letters, the, the epistles that Paul wrote, First and Second Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon, these letters are all under the category of teaching letters. Remember when Jesus departed at the end of the book of Matthew? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Go therefore make disciples doing what? Teaching them all that I have commanded you, right? That was Paul's primary ministry, was to teach the church all that Jesus had commanded, the implications of our faith. The prophets spoke with the authority of God and called the people of the church, the people of Israel, to repent and turn back. The apostles taught everybody what it means to be Christ-like. That is the foundation of the church. So whether we like it or not, when Jesus says, back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is talking about Peter as a representative of the apostolic body. The apostles and the prophets are who make up the foundation of the church. By the way, where can we find the communication of the prophets and the apostles? Right here. It would pay for us to read them. So that brings us to the middle of verse 18. (laughs) Now that we've identified the rock that Jesus is talking about on which he's going to build the church, the apostles and the prophets, right? Okay? So he's going to build the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then he makes this statement that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against what? Against the rock? Against the foundation? Or against the church? Doesn't matter. The foundation's part of the church, right? So what does he mean by the gates of hell? Again, I've heard pastors spiritualize this. I've heard people talk about the, the, the historical, the gates of a city is where the rulers of that city would sit and pass judgment on the people and they would pass the laws and yada, 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 so on and so forth. Who's the ruler of hell? Man. He's a prisoner like everybody else is down there. God's the ruler of hell. God's the ruler of the universe. He has not given Satan dominion over hell. Satan is a prisoner. He's going to be put in chains and cast into the lake of fire. He's the ruler of this world right now, but he's not the ruler of hell. I don't think Jesus is talking about the gates as a seat of authority. Because Jesus isn't giving Satan any more authority than God has permitted him to have. Remember, Satan had to come ask permission before he could touch Job. What authority does Satan have? 
only that little itty bitty tiny little bit that God has given him in this world. So I think Jesus is really talking about the gates. What else is a gate for? To keep people out. Or to keep something in, right? Because <laughs> nothing was worse than coming home from school and knowing that the gate on the pasture was supposed to be closed. And it wasn't. So I didn't have to worry about stuff getting into that pasture field with the cows. <laughs> and I see that look on Dad's face. <laughs> Traumatic flashbacks. <laughs> Because that meant that the cows was going to be in the garden and in the neighbor's garden and in the cornfield, right? <laughs> in the dining room of the farmhouse. <laughs> that happened on one occasion. I think Jesus is really talking about here the entrance to hell. Now, why would I say that? What is the entrance to hell? Not who is the ruler, not who's in charge, but what is the entrance? How do people get into hell? Sin. Doesn't it make sense that Jesus would say that I'm going to build my church on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, and oh, by the way, sin is not going to prevail against it? Whoa. What? You know, when we talk about Scripture, we talk about the book of Revelation, particularly, I've seen all these glib little statements online, I've seen it on bumper stickers, I've read to the end of the book, God wins. You know what that means? That means sin loses. The entrance to hell, sin, will not prevail against Christ's church. No matter what, we may think, no matter what we may do, sin will not prevail against the church. It will not prevail against the life of a believer. Because guess what we are? We're the little stones that make up the church. Sin won't prevail. Wrap your head around that for just a minute. This is not new news. Paul said it in the book of Romans, and pretty much all of the letters that he wrote. Jesus said it right here. Once a person is saved, once a person has been bought by Christ, redeemed by Christ, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, sin will not prevail. Now, Paul says that we need to put off the old flesh, we need to put off the old man, and we need to stop living like we're still in bondage to sin, right? This is what he says in Romans. Quit living like you're still a slave and put on the new, new man, the new being, the new creature that you are in Christ. Now, why would Paul tell us we have to do that? Because guess what we do when we wake up in the morning? If we don't put on the new man, we jump right back into the bondage to sin. Let, let me say this as plainly and as clearly as I can say this. 
Christians aren't slaves to sin. Did you catch that? The chains have been broken. Before a person comes to Christ, do they have a choice to not sin? No. Because that is their nature. Now that doesn't mean everything a person does is evil. There's a reason we view people like Hitler and Saddam Hussein as worse than everybody else. Because they did their sins and they did them big. And they were bad. But an unbeliever, even that little old lady who stands on the street corner and hands out cookies to the kids every Friday after school, if she doesn't have Christ, everything that she does is touched by sin. It's worth nothing. Only once we're in Christ can we choose not to sin when we're presented with those choices. Again, Paul says, there's no sin that besets you except that which is what? Common to man. By the way, ladies, don't get so happy. He means mankind, not just us guys. (laughs) Okay? There isn't a sin that has hit you that hasn't hit somebody else before. But then he goes on to say that God is gracious and he provides something. When we're tempted, what does he provide? A way of escape. A way to get out of it. We have a choice. The unbeliever, they don't. They're stuck. When they're presented with temptation, they're going to choose sin. We don't have to. So I really think that Jesus is saying that the gates of hell will not win. Sin will not win against the church. So it's high time we quit living like we don't have a choice. It's time we quit saying, I'm only human, what do you expect? Because what Jesus expects is that sin's not going to win in your life. Now, does that mean we're going to be sinlessly perfect this side of heaven? No. And for that, there is grace. For that, there is mercy. For that, there is forgiveness. For now, we need to focus on obedience.